and the game is good for a first down, Kentucky. No, it's not quite football season, but if you have attended a Kentucky Wildcat football game at Commonwealth Stadium, which is now Kroger Field, any time over the past two-plus decades, you have heard that phrase, and the voice which has delivered that phrase, I am pleased to welcome to the show today. He is Mr. Carl Nathy, longtime public address announcer for the Kentucky Pigskin Wildcats. Uh, that's not his only title, though. Oh, no. He has provided sideline reporting for various sporting events on radio and television, most notably in recent years, the men's and women's high school basketball state tournaments. On the Sweet 16 Radio Network, he has assisted with the coverage of those games, and Carl spent a number of years as a member of the University of Kentucky's public relations team. So we will dive into each of those subjects much, much more, plus we will get Carl's thoughts on this year's high school basketball state tournaments. It's going to be a fun show, gang, but not nearly as much fun if you leave me, so put up your feet and get ready for Blabbing in the Bluegrass, Season 5, Episode 12. Kentucky features so much more than basketball and horses. We're home to scenic spectacles and one-of-a-kind golf courses. If boating, fishing, dining, or music is your pleasure, we'll guide you to the sights and sounds that you will truly treasure. Cause we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing, blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste. From Providence to Prospect, Petersburg to Pembroke, when you think the Commonwealth of Kentucky, the first thought that comes to mind had better be blabbing in the bluegrass as we thoughtfully and faithfully explore and celebrate all things Kentucky. Sam Moore coming at you once again from the first class, first rate, North Quail Motel in beautiful Henderson, KY, and there's a darn good reason that I chose Carl Nathy to be my special guest this week, because there is no shortage of material to talk about with this guy. In fact, we could do probably a whole month's worth of shows with him, because I didn't even cover his uh, complete resume in the intro there. You know, he also, for a time, was a sports reporter for WLEX Channel 18, in Lexington, and if you listen to the UK Radio Network broadcasts, Carl handled the UK at the half spotlights, which uh, featured notable individuals making a difference on campus. He did that for a number of years while he worked for UKPR. And uh, football season is still roughly six months away, but hey, the spring game is coming up, and if you uh, attend that, you'll be able to hear Carl Nathy's voice in the stadium. And uh, given the way basketball season ended, it's best that we look ahead to football season, right? <laughs> and hey, baseball and women's softball for that matter. But anyhow, plenty more with the Carl Nathy coming down the pipe, and I know you won't want to miss it. But before we get to Carl, let's tackle another bluegrass brain buster. Well, the question anyway. We're going to make you wait 
through the show for the answer. And it shouldn't be much of a hardship because Carl Nathy is quite entertaining. But we're going to give you the question now. We will reveal the answer in the program's final segment. I want to know when and how the University of Kentucky adopted the name Wildcats for its athletics. Again, I want to know when and how the University of Kentucky adopted the name Wildcats for its athletics. You think on that, brainstorm, but not too hard because we don't want you missing anything Carl has to say, and we will let you know of the answer at the conclusion of the show. Good luck. Sam Moore proudly presents his Commonwealth Crowd Pleaser. Well, I'm beyond blessed to have a voice that no doubt a lot of you know, especially if you are accustomed to going to University of Kentucky Wildcat football games. This gentleman has been the uh, longtime public address announcer at the Commonwealth Stadium slash Kroger Field, and uh, you might have also heard him on the Kentucky Utilities Sweet 16 radio network in recent years. He's done sideline reporting there and sports reporting at uh, WLEX and also uh, UK Public Relations. He served on that team for um, a long, long time, and so we'll dabble in that and and uh, much, much more as we go along here, but let's make welcome the one and only Carl Nathie. <laughs> Well, Sam, thank you so much for your nice introduction, and it's a pleasure to to be with you. And I appreciate you reaching out. And uh, now I know what uh, babbling the bluegrass is, and who's the who's the man behind it? Sam Moore. That's me. <laughs> yes, indeed. I have to <laughs> I have to claim it. But uh, anyhow, I'm I'm enjoying every minute of it. But anyhow, Carl, we're sure uh, glad you're here. I know that uh, you retired last year. How long have you been retired exactly? Well, as far as what I would call fully retired, just since June 30th of 2021. The last two years, I worked 32 years at University of Kentucky Public Relations. The last two years. I worked part-time and I had started there in 1989. So I worked 89 through two, uh, through about halfway through 2021. And I still am doing the uh, public address announcing at the football games. That's kind of a, a side gig, if you will, but it's a side gig. That's one of those things that now that I've been doing it 25 years, this will be my 26th season. An awful lot of people seem to uh, recognize you by that, but, uh, Oh, no, sure. I did work full-time uh, writing news releases and also uh, produce, uh, interviewing and producing uh, UK at the Half, which was a radio feature that we had at halftime of the football and basketball games. We still have that, but I'm no longer doing that. And did uh, some other things, uh, video and television-wise, for the University of Kentucky. But I was blessed to have a long career there and also blessed to have a boss that said that as long as I got my work done for the main campus part of my job that it was okay if I went over and did some things with sports. So through the years, I, I was the gymnastics announcer for eight years. I was the oh. baseball PA announcer for eight years. And I filled in on a bunch of other sports, including volleyball and softball and, and so forth. So uh, the football, the nice part about football is it's only uh, seven or eight times times a year well nine i guess if you count the spring game which is coming up right but uh you can kind of keep your schedule in advance you just know you can't do anything else on those days but uh 99 of the time i'd be at the football game anyway so 
Sure. Uh, might as well have the opportunity while I can to, to still do the public address announcing. Yeah, so you can enjoy the game and and uh, do PA all in one. Now, I know, uh, like you said, you uh, you got to UK in 89. That Was that about the same time you got to Lexington? Well, it came in Lexington in 1985 to go to work okay. for Channel 18, WLEX-TV in Lexington, the NBC affiliate. And I was there for four years. And by that time, we had two young children. We have three adult children now, but we had our first two kids. And I've been in the broadcasting business for 15 years. I got out of, got out of college in 1974. I, I'd done some work in broadcasting while I was in school, but I worked 15 years in radio and television, mostly in sports. And I had the opportunity to come to Lexington to work for WLEX and uh, jumped at that, was there four years. And then it was one of those kind of things where you reach a crossroads where you've got a young family if you're going to improve your career in terms of broadcasting, it's probably going to be another move. And I had moved um, a couple of times before one, one position I was in for six or seven years and then another one for four years and then LEX. And so uh, we really loved it here in Kentucky and in Lexington. So my wife and I did a lot of soul searching and I decided, well, let's see what else I can find. And uh, I was lucky enough, there was an opening in the public relations office at the University of Kentucky, and I was hired by a gentleman by the name of Bernie Vonderheide, that's V as in boy, Bernie, and Vonderheide, V as in victory, and Bo Bernie is still alive and lives in Louisville, Kentucky. He's uh, 90, going on 91. Uh, Bernie was a great mentor to me, and uh, I just always think fondly of him and am very grateful that he gave me the opportunity in the first place. Oh, sure. And I think I've heard that name before, too. So, uh, Bernie, if you're listening, we love you. And uh, we're glad to have your your former employee, Carl Nathy, out here. Now, uh, I know that prior to enjoying uh, uh, an incredible career in broadcasting and then public relations, uh, you were born and raised up north in Pleasantville, New York. Now, that's pretty close to the Big Apple, isn't it, Carl? You're very, you're very wise, Sam. Yes, it is. It's a uh... About an hour by by driving into mid, Midtown Manhattan, it can be even, if you went in the middle of the night, it could be, you know, like two in the morning, you'd probably make it in about 45 minutes oh without traffic. And it's uh, just under an hour train ride into Grand Central Station in Midtown Manhattan. And driving wise, I was about 45 minutes from Yankee Stadium, which is where I probably took in my first significant uh, sporting event other than the, the local high school, but I, I had a mom who was, uh, I'm the youngest of four, and my dad wasn't really a, a big about going to games, but my mom was kind of open to the idea, and so actually the first uh, professional you know, major league baseball game I went to and the first professional football game I went to was with my mother, uh -huh. and and uh, so she was, she was pretty cool. Uh, pretty cool that way and uh i got i had a neighbor that moved in when i was four and a half a neighbor by the name of rick hall and rick's dad was a former minor league baseball player and so mr hall taught me and rick and rick's younger brother doug the game of baseball and really got our interest in sports going and i've never lost my interest in love of sports and Expanded oh. that beyond baseball to 
football and basketball and even up there we I was a big hockey fan back in the day not so much anymore but still following a little bit with the New York Rangers and uh, just a kind of thing where sports it, it it got its roots in me early and it's it's never left and for those that sometimes trivialize sports and what they can do I think you find a lot of examples where sports is ahead of the game that uh farther ahead than the rest of society in terms of people getting along and working for a common good and a common cause for a common goal. I think you can learn a lot from sports when you're growing up. So I played sports and was hoping that, Hey, maybe one day I can be in the major leagues or something. Well, then you <laughs> reality sets in and you realize when you're about 14 <laughs> or 15, you've kind of hit the peak of your baseball career and I still play golf, but, so you figure you either got to write about it or talk about it if you're going to be involved with it. So that's kind of how I got pointed toward broadcasting. And the rest, as they say, is history. I know that you went to college at the University of Maryland in College Park. So tell me uh, what drew you to Maryland as a native New Yorker. And tell me about some of your most memorable highlights from your time there. Well, I was the only, I was the youngest of four and my two older brothers and older sister had gone to college in New York state. And my father had never finished his college degree. And my mother had, but my father had, and he was insistent that we, we all go to college. And my two older brothers and older sister had gone to schools in the state of New York. And I was just kind of interested in, in doing something else. And I guess, uh, again, it's, there's advantages and disadvantages of being the youngest of four. You take a lot of grief from your older brothers and sisters, but then by the time you're, you're the fourth one, your parents kind of like, oh, well, he, he never gives us any trouble. So yeah, it's okay if he, so back then the difference in tuition, I'm just going to give you some ballpark numbers, but back, back 40, well, 50, I, I enrolled in college in the fall of 1970. And now when you talk figures for what it costs to go to college for a year, it's more like 10, 20, 30, $40,000. Well, back then it was more like a thousand or $2,000. Yeah, quite a difference. Yeah. So the, the, even though the out of state was more than the in-state in New York, the out of state to go to school was not that much of a barrier. And so they permitted me to go out of state. And anyway, I ended up graduating university of Maryland college park in 1974 Two of the highlights there sports-wise was that was the time that Lefty Grizel had started to be uh, take over as the men's basketball coach at the University of Maryland that and built quite a successful program. He was there for 16 years. And sadly, at the end of his career, that was kind of the, uh, the thing that um, I don't think he had anything directly to do with it. I know he didn't have anything directly to do with it, but you know, when Len, Len Bias' tragic death happened, uh, he was the number one NBA draft choice that died of a drug overdose, and that cast a big shadow on the program. Anyway, Lefty was forced out, but uh, later was able to coach at other schools and is now in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. But on the other sport, the other major sport, football, uh, Jerry Claiborne, the late Jerry Claiborne, who was the would become the coach at Kentucky and had played at Kentucky, and was a, a academic All-American and so forth. Well, he was uh, my junior and senior year at Maryland were his first two years as head coach 
of the Maryland Terrapins football team. Oh, I forgot and he was Jer coach up there. And he, I'll tell you, he was very successful. He coached from, let's see, the 70, fall of 72. So 72 through 1981 up there at the University of Maryland. And he had 10 seasons. He had seven, seven bowl trips. His overall record was something like 77 wins and 37 losses. And then he got the job at Kentucky. And uh, he was replacing Fran Kersey, who had been let go. And Claiborne coached Kentucky from 82 through 89. So that was eight years. First year, Kentucky was 0-10-1. And the next year, they were in a bowl game. And the next year, they were in a bowl game after that. But they never could quite under Claiborne could never quite attain the success that he had enjoyed at Maryland. But I tell you what I think about that, Sam, is it wasn't that Jerry Claiborne forgot how to coach. It was that difference between, at least back then, the difference between the Atlantic Coast Conference in football and the Southeastern Conference in football. Oh, no and I think to this day, the SEC is probably the best football conference in the nation. The ACC has gotten better, but it's pretty tough to beat the SEC when you look at uh, who makes it to the college football playoffs every year. So it was a great time for sports. And I worked uh, on a campus radio station there, got a lot of experience, got to do some play-by-play -play of various sports, even did play-by-play -play of lacrosse. Lacrosse happens to be very mm. big in Maryland. It's starting to catch on a little bit in Kentucky and some other areas, but the Johns Hopkins University, Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore and the Maryland Terrapins in, in uh, College Park, when they'd play lacrosse, they used to get 15 and 20,000 people to a game, if you can believe that. Oh, that's impressive for lacrosse. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but uh, anyway, not too many people can say they did play-by-play -play for lacrosse, so that definitely is uh, something that uh, makes you unique. Now, uh, Tell me about the uh, the stops you made and the positions you held between College Park and, and Lexington, sir. Well, when I came, came out of college and I had worked, uh, done some part-time work in radio as well as, you know, for, for some commercial stations, as well as working on the campus radio station. When I got out of school, I was able to land a job about a half hour from my home. And I, I lived at home uh, for several years after I graduated from college, mainly because Back then, radio didn't pay too well. And it's still, <laughs> frankly, right. in comparison, I suppose it still doesn't. But uh, <laughs> nope. uh, my parents were uh, kind enough to let me uh, live at home for a couple of years. And I commuted across the Hudson River on the Tappan Zee Bridge. And I went from uh, Westchester County, New York, which is where Pleasantville is, over to New City, New York, in Rockland County. As I said, about a half hour, 35 minute commute. And ended up, I started out working, doing a little bit of everything. I was part-time for a few weeks, and then they, uh, they, they kind of put me on a trial run, and they liked what I did. So about a month into my tenure there, I was hired full-time and ended up being there seven years. Uh, at first, I did a little bit of everything. I was a disc jockey. I did news. I did sports. I did play-by-play -play of high school football. And after a couple of years, they decided they wanted to expand their sports operation. So in addition to doing high school football, we did high school basketball, boys and girls. And then we did high school baseball in the springtime and ended up having a chance to do 
some small college, there were a couple of small colleges there, uh, NAIA or NCAA Division Three, and I did some play-by-play. And I befriended a community college teacher at Rockland Community College who said that if uh, I would come speak to his classes about radio, that he would let me come and use the studio to make a, a video tape, but oh. a, a TV demo tape, because I was kind of getting curious about, well, what, a, what would it be like to break into television? I'd had a little bit of exposure at the University of Maryland on campus with a, a television workshop there, but uh, oh. anyway, we made a tape. One thing led to another, ended up, I got a job on television doing sports for the CBS affiliate in Casper, Wyoming. We were out in Wyoming for four years, and then uh, I was, you know, looking to see if I couldn't move to a, a, a bigger place or a better a better television market. And an opportunity in Lexington came along, and um, they looked at my tape, and uh, you know, I'd sent tapes to other stations, but I was fortunate enough that they liked it and gave me the opportunity to come here, and I was there for four years, and then after that to University of Kentucky. But it. It's, it's, oh, it's an interesting journey because uh, one thing about broadcasting, you have to go where the opportunity is. Sure. Talk, if you would, about uh, some of the players, coaches, and games that uh, you most enjoyed covering as an anchor at LAX. Well, one game I remember, first of all, it was a thrill. The first time to ever walk into Rupp Arena. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, be in that building. That was, that was, quite, that was quite something. And uh, I saw my first uh, game, my first Louisville game, if you will, was the 19, it was late December of 1985. And that was very early in the time after they'd actually uh, started playing each other uh, once again, you know, in the regular season. They right. had that, uh, they'd had that meeting, I guess it was in the NCAA tournament in 83, 84 in there in Knoxville, but <clears throat> they had started to play one one year in Rupp Arena, one year at Freedom Hall, back and forth, home and home. And that one had something like 24,100 or 24,000. I believe the day that I went in late December, I think it might have been the largest crowd or the second largest in Rupp Arena to that point. The arena opened for the 76-77 season. So this is 85-86. Uh, well, that was a thrill. And football, my first real memorable game for football in Kentucky in 1986. And this will ring a bell with, with current fans because what did we do, that being the Kentucky Wildcat football team, in the fall of 2021, we finally beat the, the Gators, Gators yes. in, <laughs> in our home stadium. Well, guess what? In early November of 1986, Kentucky defeated Florida 10 to three. It was a cold back then. We, we seemed to play them uh, at least our home games with Florida were late in the season. So it was early November. It was chilly. And Tony Mays made an inter one of the members of the defensive backfield, a safety for Kentucky made an interception to seal the win and Kentucky won 10 to three. And little did we know that that would be the last win over Florida of any kind until I guess it was 2018 when we beat them down in Gainesville. Right. And the first, first time in then Commonwealth stadium, now Kroger field 
that didn't happen for 35 years until 2021, just this past fall. So those were my probably my first uh, sporting events in terms of UK that really burned into my memory. Of course, since then, there's been many memorable moments. Um, oh, yeah. Kentucky uh, athletics is got quite a tradition and and i I do want to say mitch barnhart who's been our athletic director now in his uh the 20th year at the helm indeed he has done a remarkable job in the fact that not just uh he doesn't have just his eye on football and men's basketball but women's basketball baseball track and field swimming and diving volleyball we have national champions in volleyball and rifle uh, as well as uh, men's basketball and he really believes in if we're going to have somebody out there with a wearing a uniform representing the University of Kentucky we we need to give them a, a chance to give them the resources we need and the coaching they need to uh, try to go compete for uh, SEC and for national championship and he's really I, I my hat is off to him because he's done that and uh, and by the way uh, the academic success of our student athletes um, gets highlighted every semester in the, uh, the remarkable grade point averages that they're able to achieve. So we got a lot of good, good things going on with athletics and, uh, it's, it's fun to be, it's fun to be a fan of the Kentucky Wildcats. Absolutely. It's great to see that, uh, Barnhart makes all the coaches and students feel like they're a, a valuable part of the program. And it's always, uh, nice to have the academic success to, to back it up. Now, uh, Carl, since 1997, you've been the proud public address voice of uh, Commonwealth Stadium, which is now Kroger Field uh, for the Kentucky Wildcats football team. So just curious, sir, based on your observations, um, how has the UK football game day uh, environment changed or evolved since you've been the man behind the mic? Well, my first year, that's a really interesting question. And to put it in, I'll try to put it in some kind of historical perspective. I was here in Lexington for, let's see, eight, late 85. So let's say 86 through 96, 11 football seasons that I had, had witnessed and attended games and watched games on television or listened on the radio. And the Kentucky Wildcats, quite frankly, they'd had some success. They'd been to, they went to the Peach Bowl in 1993, but then that had fizzled out. Uh, Bill Curry had been the coach after Jerry Claiborne, and they were sure. really just trying to get the program uh, re-energized. It hadn't really had a whole lot of success since going way back to Blanton Collier and before that, Paul Bear Bryant, at least in terms of what I would call sustained success. They might yeah. have a good year here and there, uh, in the late seventies under Fran Kersey, they went, they won the peach bowl in 76. We went 10 and one in in 77, but they weren't able to keep that going. Those, those were some great teams, but what, uh, Hal mummy came in, uh, CM Newton was the athletics director and Hal mummy or CM Newton hired Hal mummy from Valdosta state, a oh, uh -huh. smaller college and a smaller level of football. And he came in as the head coach of Kentucky. And while it's easy to forget because there were some NCAA problems during his fourth year and he was forced to force out, the energy was incredible because it was the, what they called the air raid offense. And oh, he uh -huh. was all about 
passing the football, getting it in the hands of a running back or a wide receiver and letting them make yards after catch. And boy, did we score some points. But <laughs> That's when the air raid right siren first came to be. <laughs> the, the, the very first game in 97, we played the Louisville Cardinals. And I guess we were the underdog. So they came into our, our place and uh, they found out what, what Hal Mummy football was all about because in the first quarter, Kentucky outscored UofL 21 to nothing. <laughs> and it was absolutely, the, it was a packed crowd. And that was before Commonwealth Stadium, now Kroger Field, had been enlarged. Right. And this is ahead of the, the most recent renovation in 2015. But they, they did renovate it right around the year 2000, 2001. But um, anyway, the crowd was packed. Then it held, I think, 57,000 or thereabouts. Uh-huh. And Kentucky played great. And Mummy, they, they were five and six that year. Tim Couch was the quarterback. But the next year we came back and went seven and four and went to the Outback Bowl. Oh, I remember me. that. And then and then Tim Couch was the was the uh, you know first round draft pick of the Cleveland Browns. And uh, he he left really a he had another year of eligibility, but he elected to go pro. And uh, he still had a good pro career, but in retrospect, if he'd been drafted by somebody that had an offensive line, he probably would have lasted a lot longer. He was yeah, a great, no doubt. great quarterback and a good individual, Tim Couch. And so anyway, um, it, it, it kind of, after uh, we went to the Outback Bowl, the next year we went to the Music City Bowl in Mummy's third year, and then it kind of fizzled out and there were NCAA problems. Guy sure. Morris came in for a couple of years. Uh, the second year of Guy Morris was good. We won seven games, but we weren't permitted to go to a bowl game. Oh, yeah, because of the sanctions. Brooks came in for seven years, and he changed the attitude of the program in that he really coached players up and started to turn the corner on, on having some real uh, comeback mentality and some, some toughness in the team. And then uh, Joker Phillips followed rich brooks started off good went to another bowl game then kind of fizzled down and and uh, then mark stoops came in in time for the uh after at the end of the 2012 season and 2013 was his first year and he's now been nine years this will be his 10th season and the biggest difference is uh the physical nature of our football team in other words mummy had tried to come in and have the passing game and tried to disguise the fact that maybe we didn't have the men up front to block uh, sure. as well as we'd, we'd like for a, you know, to have a strong running game. So the air raid offense came in and, and we really hadn't been able to recruit um, at a, at the high level that some of these other sec schools had. And that went on back and forth for, for quite some time. Well, Stoops came in and I guess you'd say he did it the old fashioned way. I think Rich Brooks had started to build a program brick by brick, but after he left and, and Joker Phillips tried hard, it, it, it kind of had gone down. So Stoops now has built it brick by brick from the ground up. We have offensive linemen. We have recruits at wide receiver and skill positions offensively and defensively that now when 
a recruit signs with Kentucky, it's often you hear, and I'll use your name just to bring it Oh, yeah, home. go for it. <laughs> Sam, Sam Moore chose Kentucky over Ohio State, over Florida. Over yeah. Before, year, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, it was more like uh, he chose Kentucky over Bowling Green, uh, Toledo, and Ball State. I'm not Smaller knocking schools. those schools, but no. you, if you get the recruits that are going to Ball State, if they're coming to your way, now Stoops and and uh, and, his, and his staff, they go after recruits that, hey, we might not get them all, but if you don't go after them, you have no chance. And we've, we've had some four- and five-star recruits coming in these last few years. Uh, we've had two 10-win seasons in the last four years. So he's done, I think, a remarkable job. His overall record in nine seasons is 59 wins and 53 losses. But you have to remember where he started from, which was a two and 10 season his first year when he had very little talent in the program. Yeah, so he had to build it. We, we've now gone to six consecutive bowl games. We've won the last four bowl games we've been in. And I think we have a chance to have another a very bright season in, in this year ahead. So, it, and the difference... The biggest difference uh, before when I was first here and go to a Kentucky football game, when it was about six minutes left in the fourth quarter, it didn't matter what the score was. A lot of people just would go out in the parking lot. There are a lot of great football fans in Kentucky, so I'm not criticizing the, oh, the, sure. the, yeah. the hardcore fans, but there were fans that it was more of a social occasion and it was like, okay, it's halfway through the fourth quarter, time to go out to, to resume the tailgate exactly <laughs> and and they really didn't they really and if we were behind rather than trying to you know we were seven or ten or 14 points down they they said well well same old same old you know i guess assumed it was over now, yeah now we got the kind of team that hey we've had some comeback victories of, of note these last several years and uh, most recently uh it wasn't a home game but in the bowl game and the uh oh yeah against Citrus iowa bowl, iowa I mean, we look like, oh, there's no way. And guess what? We won the football game. Yes, exactly. That's why it's you a, watch till the end. <laughs> it's much, it's much more, I think it's we're we're becoming a real force to be reckoned with. I think we when Jerry when Jerry Claiborne was coaching, I think people knew they were gonna be in a you know, Kentucky was gonna give you trouble. And and Rich Brooks was the same thing, but I think now they actually, there's teams that, uh-oh, we got to play Kentucky. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Where was that back in the day? <laughs> and so that's that's definitely made a big, big difference and generated a lot of excitement, I know, within the stadium. Now, uh, I recently came across a, a fascinating YouTube clip, Carl, in which you uh, recapped your top three Commonwealth Stadium uh, thrills as a public address announcer but for those who uh, might not have seen it why don't you uh take us through these memorable uh, moments now and uh, feel free to tweak these if maybe your top three has changed since then <laughs> well you put it you put it in a very a very good way i love the way you, you do your research because up until and now I'm, I'm adding more so i don't know if it's a top three but i can remember the very first top of those top three that you're referring to was in 1997 
and it was, uh, I think, my third home game, my, my third game of doing the public address announcing, and the University of Alabama Crimson Tide came in, and we took them to overtime, and Tim Couch connected with Craig Yeast on a touchdown pass. To win the game, And we right? won the game. I'm pretty sure we had overtime by then. I hope I'm not saying that wrong, but... Yeah, I think you're right. Not, it was like the last second. We pulled it out. For, I think it was 40 to 34. But anyway, it was our very first time beating Alabama on the football field since 1922. So it had been 75 years. And we beat Alabama and the students and others came out and uh, stormed the field posts down. And <laughs> it was like, a, you know, I it was like a big party in Lexington. Let's put it that way. Oh, and no I remember, doubt. I remember CM Newton, our athletics director. And by that time, CM who just died within the last couple of years in his late eighties. But I think if my memory is correct, he would have been 67 years old at the time of that game. And he said, Heck, if I'd been a few years younger, I've been up there tearing the goalpost down with them. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> but anyway, uh, of course, now they, they the Southeastern Conference, so they, they find teams for, uh, you know, if you charge the field and all that. But that's another story. This is true. Okay, another great moment in my top three. Not that there weren't other good football games and, and great wins between that time, but. Oh, yeah. I go to 2000. Uh, my mind goes to 2007 the first game of the year and we're playing the university of louisville cardinals right and i think i have this i hope i have this right but 2007 and we haven't beaten louisville had beaten us 2003 2004 five and six four years in a row it yep. looks like they've got us they they've got us down and out and what happens? We get a last, last few seconds, we get the touchdown pass to Stevie Johnson. Oh, yeah, Stevie got loose. <laughs> and, we, and we pull that one out. It was, uh, I guess that was Andre Woodson, I believe, to Stevie Johnson. Yeah, sure was. And we pull that one out. And it was just kind of like, with all due respect to the Louisville Cardinals, and they had a strong football program, and they, at least they've had for most of the time I've been here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were sick and tired of losing to them. And, <laughs> Indeed. And we, it was almost like a catharsis. So that was a great, that was a big favorite moment of mine. And then later in uh, 2007. Right. Was the game where LSU came to town. They would end up winning the national title that year. But we took them to overtime and beat them. I want to say it was two or three overtimes, and I think it was 43-37 was the final. Yeah, I think it was and, triple OT. <laughs> and we beat them, and we had CBS Television Network and their their A-team, if you will, with Vern Lundquist and company on the broadcast, on the telecast. Oh, yes. And do you know, and I don't think this happens too often for CBS, but they made the announcement the next morning they were leaving everything in place, and they were going to have the same people back to do the telecast leave all their equipment in place because guess what they were going to televise nationally kentucky hosting florida the very next weekend 
all CBS two weeks did, and we, we we lost a tough one to Florida. Yeah, I remember that. A real heartbreaker. And um, um, but I'll tell you what, those those three were fantastic. But now we've had some we've had some wins under uh, uh, those both were under, I guess, Coach Brooks. Right. And the ninety seven one was Mummy. Two thousand seven, both those were Coach Brooks. And then we had a, a Joker Phillips signature win, if you will. 2011 is second year and our quarterback was hurt and Matt Roark who was kind of a running back receiver <laughs> utility type player well he goes in a quarterback we put in basically a run first offense he has a great game and we beat Tennessee in 2011 for the first time uh, oh yeah, down there or here since 1984. So that was a first in 27 years. And then, uh, let's see. I remember that. Stoops that was came, 10 to seven was the man, final score. <laughs> yep, that's right. And then Stoops, when Mark Stoops came in, I remember. I think it was his second year. A real watershed moment was we beat South Carolina at home. I think that was 2014. Oh yeah, that was a big some, one. We've had some wonderful bowl game victories. And uh, let me just add quickly, I know I'm taking a lot of time, but the, the oh, you're uh, good. two favorite moments, and this, this, these were both as I, I got to enjoy them as a fan, as a father and a fan. I have two sons. I have an uh, older son, then a daughter in the middle, and then another son. And at the Citrus Bowl, at the end of the 2018 season, which was January 1st, 2019, when we beat Penn State, and my sons were right there with me watching that from the stands. And then the next year, we were in the Belk Bowl in Charlotte, North Carolina, and we rallied to beat Virginia Tech. Oh, yeah, and the final we minutes. Had that remarkable eight and a half minute drive and scored and, and, and won that, and then had a, a defensive touchdown right at the end. But to have my boys with me watching those uh, in person, that was a delight. And, you know, you get, you get to really focus on enjoying the game because you're not having to work it. And, you know, I mean, it's, it, I believe me, it's a lot of fun doing the public address announcement, but you have to pay very close attention to everything going on. And, you know, oh, you don't sure. have the same perspective as a fan. Yeah. But those were great different. moments. Those are my favorite football moments i guess in a nutshell yeah and those were all good ones and those, those bowl games those are great uh those are great father-son moments now uh, at the beginning of every game uh, of course we we always hear it's football time in the bluegrass but that that's not your voice is it carl no you know but you're again you're very astute sam because there are a lot of people that say oh it's carl saying that no that's usually one of the male cheerleaders is on the oh. big megaphone and on the microphone, and he'll yell out, it's football time in the bluegrass. That's not me. <laughs> I was going to say, I didn't, if that was you, you've got uh, quite a range there, sir. But, uh, <laughs> but, but anyway, we always enjoy that. That's a, that's a great way to, to start each game. Now, uh, in recent years, you've uh, been privileged to handle sideline reporting for uh, high school basketball state tournament action on the uh, sweet 16 radio network so why don't let's uh, recap if you would uh, some of the 
you know, your most favorite players, games, and, and highlights from, from this year's tournaments. And uh, we'll do ladies first since they played first. So let's, let's start with the highlights for you from the, uh, from the girls state tournament. Well, I tell you what, the, the sacred heart, uh, they won it last year, and I uh, just have to give a nod of admiration to Donna Moyer and her team. Uh, they were able to repeat, but they beat uh, uh, Bullet East. Uh, Bullet East had given a, given a great account of itself, and I think they just, um, you might say, ran out of gas. You know, the, 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 the tournament for several years, for 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 long, long time, the tradition was, uh, it's a four game, you know, uh, 16 team tournament, sweet 16. Sure. And, uh, there's opening round games on Wednesday and then Thursday and then Friday, the quarterfinals. And then Saturday morning was the semis and Saturday night, the final. Well, then for about four or five years, they went to where they had the, uh, the first three days were the same. It was, uh, four first round games, Wednesday, four first round games, Thursday, the quarterfinals Friday, and then the semifinals on Saturday, Saturday evening, and then the championship game Sunday afternoon. And they experimented with that for a while, but they decided in terms, I guess, of people traveling and having to get a hotel for another night and all that kind of thing, they decided to go back to the tradition where they play two games earlier Saturday, then they play the championship game Saturday night. Right. So this year, I think Bullet East, uh, they just ran out of gas in their in their in their championship game against Sacred Heart. But uh, nothing to be taken away from Sacred Heart's victory because it was oh, very no. impressive. And the fact that and a personal story behind it, Donna Moyer, her co uh, the coach who's now won five state titles at Sacred Heart, and Sacred Heart has. Uh, six overall Sacred Heart Academy of Louisville and she's been the coach for five of them right and I guess she even played uh, I don't think she was on a state champion as a player but she played there years ago but Donna and her husband they had lost their daughter-in-law uh, to cancer uh, last oh, August no. yeah and so that had been uh, something that had been you know kind of hanging over there and the last in, in the last couple of press conferences she brought the little grandkids uh that's her her son's daughters up onto the podium with her for the press conferences which was which was kind of cute but then when you learn the story behind it uh so they've been they've been helping out an awful lot in 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 raising those daughters but uh, donna just uh, really a class person and it was a wonderful story for they they want it now on the boys uh which just uh just happened this past week sure uh, clark clark county over warren central i'll tell you what clark county they did a marvelous job because they came in averaging almost 83 points a game then they go to the sweet 16 and they never cracked 80 in fact they only scored over 50 twice and yet they won four games <laughs> and the championship game was 43 to 42 over right. Warren Central. Very low scoring. <laughs> very low scoring. Very, very good defensive teams. And, of course, that was a Saturday night game after they played earlier on Saturday. And so I think both teams might have been a little tired. But it's a, a, a matter of willpower. And uh, Clark County won its first 
state championship since 1951. So the first time in 71 years. And oh, yeah. Warren Central has only won one state title previously. That was 2004. So they were trying to pull something off. And I do want to say uh, their coaches, uh, Josh Cook for Clark County and for Warren Central, William Unseld, who's a nephew of the, uh, or I should say a cousin of the late Wes Unseld, the great NBA player. Oh, yeah. College player, Hall of Famer. But uh, those are two great coaches. And you felt for both, you, you were going to feel bad for whoever lost because it was a great game. But uh, Clark County, they had, uh, I'd say they had about half the county there from uh, Winchester oh, no, in attendance at Rupp Arena <laughs> that night. It was a, it was a thrilling game. And the Sweet 16 is a special event. And it, it's got so much tradition. It was the 104th time that the boys sweet 16 has been played of course not all at rough arena but anytime right. you have something that goes for more than 100 years you must be doing something right yeah that's true it must be successful and you're right you know i didn't i missed that very last game but i i, I did kind of feel bad for warren central because of course they lost by one and that was um they had a missed free throw with about two seconds left didn't they yes they did and that would have probably more more than likely put it into overtime and um by the way, Clark County in their semifinal game that morning, I neglected to mention, they had uh, beaten Lincoln County in two overtimes. So they awesome. actually had played uh, 40 minutes on the game clock. Warren Central had played 32 minutes, but Warren Central's game was after Clark County. So Clark County had a little more time to recuperate, but it, it's, it's going to be a challenge no matter, no matter what. And I know people can say, well, they're young people. They can, they can go all day and all night, but when you're playing full tilt and on a college uh, length court, they play on the Rupp Arena floor, which is 94 feet instead of the high school regulation of 84 feet. So, you know, there's some fatigue, but it was a great game nonetheless. It was most definitely. And you're right. When you, especially when you play two overtimes in the morning, you're, you're going to be a little tired that night. So that was a sheer will to win for George Rogers Clark. Now you've never, uh, You've never filled in on public address for a basketball game, have you, Carl? I actually have. It's been years, but I filled in for one of the exhibition games. And then there was one game, I can't remember what year, but I actually did fill in for Doug Bruce, who was doing the games at that time. Uh, Patrick Whitmer has been doing that since 2007. Doug Bruce had done it for 18 years before that. In fact, Doug had done uh, football before. I got the opportunity to do that starting 97 but oh, didn't know i that. have filled in on the men's and i've filled in a few times on the women's uh, uh pa but of course i uh, used to do some uh at halftime in rupp arena during the uh, men's games uh i used to do some of the halftime announcements and if they had something going out on the floor but they kind of have a in studio or in in arena team um handling that uh, yeah. most of the time these days when they have that so but i uh, was that too well <laughs> well that was fun anyway, it's, it's a great it's a great venue and uh it's just as much fun as a kroger field to be at either one of them oh yeah definitely a unique atmosphere both places well carl this has been great i have sure enjoyed our conversation now last but uh certainly not least um why don't you if you would offer some words of wisdom to uh those aspiring to pursue broadcasting or public relations or uh, other careers that involve writing or running the mouth. 
All right, get your education, get your college degree. It shows people that you've got stick to and that you'll finish the job. Take advantage of any internships you can get. Anything that you can do when you go to a radio station, television station, whatever it might be, online, do whatever job you can do, whatever it takes to get a foot in the door and then take advantage of every experience you can. Uh, pick the minds of those that are successful in business. I think you'll find that most people are more than willing to help younger people and they just need to be asked. And that's basically it in a nutshell. That That's good advice. I think that's, a, you know, good, uh, good guidance for anybody that's looking to uh, follow in the footsteps of Carl Dathy. Well, uh, thanks so much for joining us, sir. I hope you've had fun and you've got my permission to take a nap now. <laughs> <laughs> I think... Hey, I think I'm too keyed up now, Sam, but listen, good luck with your blabbing in the bluegrass. I'm delightful to meet you on the, on the air here, so to speak, and uh, look forward to sometime seeing you down there in Henderson in person. Absolutely. Or me when I'm in Lexington, we'll, <laughs> we'll cross paths face to face sooner than later, I'm sure. But uh, it's been a, a pleasure and uh, we'll do it again sometime, my friend. All right. Thank you, Sam. Boy, it was sure great visiting with Carl Nathy. He has such a distinctive voice, for the right reasons, of course, and he has a way of making it fun to attend football games at Kroger Field, even when the outcome is slightly less than desirable. And we all know there have been a handful of forgettable Kentucky football seasons in the past, but not so much since Coach Mark Stoops took over the throne. So kudos to Mark and his staff for making Kentucky football exciting, and kudos to Carl Nafee for making the UK football game day experience quite exciting. And I sure thank Carl for joining me today. Now, if you folks have suggestions, and I sure hope you do, for future guests, topics for the program, run them by me. I don't bite, I promise. My email address is bluegrassblabbing at gmail.com. B-L-U-E-G-R-A-S-S-B-L-A-B-B-I-N at gmail.com. If you're new to the show, welcome aboard. I tread a lot of water around here. Everything from restaurants, state parks, musicians, authors, and athletes on occasion, as long as they have meaningful connections to the Commonwealth. That is my most important criteria, and I am uh, more than willing to consider anything and everything that meets that criteria. So uh, shoot me your thoughts via email or via the Facebook page, which we'll talk more about in a second. I would love nothing more than to hear from you. And we will be back next week, March 30th to be exact. Good Lord willing and the creek don't rise. Gosh, it's hard to believe that uh, the month of March is just about history. But before we bid you farewell for this week, we have... One last order of business to tend to, and that is revealing the answer to this week's Bluegrass Brain Buster from the beginning of the program. And let's recap. I wanted to know when and how the University of Kentucky adopted the name Wildcats for its athletics. And your answer? Well, it was all the way back in 1909. On uh, October 9th of that year, the Kentucky football team made the journey to Champaign, Illinois and earned a hard-fought 6-2 football victory over the University of Illinois. Yes, it was October 9th, 1909, and in a chapel service that night after the game, the head of the military department at the time 
said that the team fought like Wildcats. And sure enough, that uh, Wildcats name sort of took off. It was adopted by sports writers and fans and the university in no time flat. And the rest, as they say, is history. So, we have had Kentucky Wildcats since 1909. Gosh, uh, 113 years ago later this year. As of this October, it'll be uh, 113 years ago that the head of the military department exclaimed that the team fought like Wildcats during a, a chapel service. So little did he know that name would still be relevant 113 years later. Another bluegrass brain buster is headed your way next week. In the meantime, I encourage you to like and follow the Blabbit in the Bluegrass Facebook page because all of my previous episodes are there. If you want to relive any or hear any that you missed, they're all waiting for you. You can also stay up to date with uh, additional information, teasers on future shows as they are presented, make comments, leave messages, and don't forget that you can listen and subscribe to Blabbit in the Bluegrass without paying one pretty penny via five, count them, five podcast directories and more on the way. But for right now, you can hit us up via Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal, and the Wisdom app. So no excuse to miss out on this fun and excitement each and every week. I don't want to be by my lonesome, so make sure that you join me, whether it's via the Facebook page or one of those podcast directories, for plenty more blabbing in the bluegrass in the days, weeks, and months to come. So until we meet again, you know your assignment, guys and gals. Keep laughing, keep smiling, and keep blabbing in the bluegrass. There's nothing here to hide, cause we're saying it with pride. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With knowledge of the state, you're sure to appreciate. Yes, we're blabbing in the bluegrass. Where musicians furnish talent and great whiskey cools your palate. Just a blabbing in the bluegrass. With a fit for every taste, precious time is not to waste.